We are working through the Ten Commandments and actively wrestling with them, I hope. Um, there's something to meditate on, to memorize, and to, to wrestle with. We're really calling us to wrestle with our sin. And so one of the, the conceptions I keep coming back to is that the, the Ten Commandments good, it's for his glory, it's also for the benefit of our neighbors. Uh, so we're, gonna, we're still working through the first part of the table, which is much more God-directed tablets, um, commandments. And so we're going to talk about the third commandment this morning. And so let's read um, Deuteronomy 5.11 and 2 Thessalonians 1.11 and 12. I'm also going to read verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would make our lives worthy of the calling that you have given us in Jesus, that they would be worthy of the gospel. For we, wherever we go as Christians, we bear Christ's name. And so we ask now that you would forgive the ways we have misused his name and ask for your spirit to help us, uh, that, that you first might make Jesus known in our hearts but also as we bear his name, uh, make him known across the street to our neighbors, uh, in our families, in our households, uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, so change us with this great privilege we have of knowing your name, even as we take up the responsibility of carrying it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when, this is full confession time, when was the last time you dropped a four-letter word, <laughs> all right? Or maybe it slipped because you hit your thumb with a hammer um, or fired it like an arrow in anger on the north way, right? I know growing up in, in, the, in the church, this has kind of been the, the common takeaway from not misusing God's name was uh, you shall not cuss, right? Don't, don't swear. And so I remember how that affected me then as a teenager, when I got to school and, right, teenagers are, are, this is the language they grew up with outside of the church. And so I let a particular scatological themed word fly. And, and across the table at the cafeteria, there was a young lady who looked at me and said, I thought Christians didn't use that word, right, which made me feel about this big. <laughs> and I tried to stuff the shame and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And so it just makes me wonder then, right, what is, is the third commandment only about the words in which we use? And the, is it aimed at profanity, right, where, where the gospel sanitizes our language? 
Why does God give us a commandment about his name? And how are those things connected? Right? What kind of life is the third commandment envisioning? I think it goes much deeper than profanity. Right? But it is connected, which we can talk about. Right? So let's, let's start here. The, the commandment is don't misuse God's name. And let, to nail down what it's after, we have to look at some of the ways in the Old Testament, the way God's name is used to see why God cares, why he would say this is the, one of the top 10 things you should do. Right? And so first, look at the gift Israel has been given. They have been given this gift to know the name of the Lord. Right? It's, it's, it's a great gift. The, the Lord reveals his name to Israel through Moses a couple different times. First at the burning bush in Exodus 3. When Moses is get, getting sent to go lead the deliverance, the rescue from Egypt, he says, well, what do I do when I go to Israel and I tell them I'm, I'm here, Yahweh is um, your God, the God of your fathers has sent me to save you. And they say, well, what is your name? What do I tell them? And that's when he says, I am who I am. Right? I am the Lord, Yahweh. Right? So that's, that's the language. His, the, Yahweh, the Lord, this is his name to be remembered forever. That's Exodus 3. Right? Fast forward to Exodus 33. After, this is after being set free and after the golden calf. Right? When God says to Moses up on the mountain, he says, Interestingly, I'm going to make my name pass before you, the Lord. Right? I'm going to make my name. He, he, he equates his presence and his name together. Right? And that's when he says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Right? Yahweh is his name. And then it says, a God, Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, right? The ways we are by nature flawed, the ways we by choice break his commandments, and the ways we try really, really hard and we still don't measure up. And yet by no means will he still clear the guilty. See, what... The narrative has told us so far is Israel has been given a great gift and it can be summed up by the fact that they know the Lord's name. It comes with his presence, his character, his attributes, uh, the, the great work of redemption from slavery in Egypt. Right? What makes them distinct in the world is they know the Lord's name. You can go read it in Exodus 5. Moses shows up to Pharaoh and says, Hey, Yahweh, the Lord, says, let my people go. And he goes, Who is Yahweh and why should I care and do what he tells me to do? Right? See, it's a privilege, a gift, to know God's name. Right? And so part of the gift that we have in this third commandment is we... We are unique because we have a name for something that is real, right? That, that's part of what the third commandment is after, that, that the Lord, your God, is real. He acts in history. Therefore, do not act like he is not real, right? 
And so just, I found this helpful from C.S. Lewis as, as he was thinking about and talking about Christianity in a culture that was either cynical or skeptical. And he starts to say, you know, there's a longing that every human soul has that arises in us when we first fall in love or we, we first think of some foreign country or we take up something that gets us really excited. And these are longings which no marriage, travel, or learning can really satisfy. You get excited and you want that joy again and you can't find it. Right? And so some people respond to that and they're just going to keep trying. They're going to wear themselves out looking for what this longing means. Uh, he calls him the fool. You know, try another woman, another vacation, another whatever, trying and hoping to catch that mysterious thing we're after. And he says there's other kinds of people. Uh, the disillusioned, sensible man <laughs> who decides that the whole pursuit of satisfaction was just moonshine. It was just grasping at the wind. It was a wasted effort. It's something you do when you're young and ignorant. But when you get to my age, says the sensible one, you stop chasing the, the end of the rainbow. But Christians know that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hungry, so there's food. Uh, a duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself in this world an experience, a desire for an experience that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I'm made for another world. And so as the Christian, it's our job to keep that hope for a heavenly country, the true country, alive. See, here's what makes us unique as Christians, and why, why I'm sharing this. We have a name for that longing. Right? His name is Jesus. Right? Like Augustine would say, our hearts are restless till we find our rest in him. That when you're talking to people and they say, that, I want the universe to be loving. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. I want there to be a God who will hold People are responsible for the atrocities they commit because I'm grieving some kind of horrible thing that's happened in my life. Right? See, all of that, one of the things we can say to people is we have a name. Right? His name is Jesus, the Lord our God. It's a gift. Do you, do you see the gift? Right? There's another piece, right? Israel received the gift of God's name. It comes with his presence and all of his benefits. Right? And so there's a couple passages in Scripture that help us better understand what it means to, to take the Lord's name in vain. And One begins with the high priest. This is part of those, that passages in Exodus that we skim through, right? The instructions for the building of the tabernacle, and then the repeat where it says he did exactly as he was told. And so in Exodus 28, it says this, the high priest Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them into regular remembrance before the Lord. All right, so here's what the high priest does. He's carrying the names of the sons of Israel into God's presence. All right, it's the exact same phrase used in the third commandment that you shall not carry or take or misuse the, the name of the Lord, right? And so you get this idea that, that names 
symbolize presence and names are something that can be carried to the point where as the, if the high priest is going to go into God's presence bearing the names of the sons of Israel it's like he is carrying them into God's presence he's mediating God's presence for them right so you got that idea in your head right you can carry a name and then third another one more place this idea of name carrying shows up uh, number 6 in the famous benediction that we keep bringing up. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine the light of his face upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. After those beautiful words, God says to, to the priests, this is how you shall put my name on my people Israel. As those who have God's protection, grace, and peace, and the light of his face. So if you take these three things together, right? Israel has the gift of God's name. They know him. They have all of the benefits of knowing his name. Everywhere they go now, God has put his name on them so that they are called to live wherever they may be as if he is real. They carry God's name. And so the, the commandment is don't misuse the name of the one who is real. Don't treat God as if he is vain, worthless, unreal. <laughs> right? As, don't live as if you do not belong to him, as if he has not put his name on you. Right? Does that make sense? So what we're talking about is Go live as if the gospel is true in Old Testament terms, that you have God's name, and that changes the way you live. Because the purpose, this is a missional purpose, if Israel is going to bear God's name among the nations, they should live differently than their neighbors. And if they live as if Yahweh is not, has not saved them, has not loved him, has not blessed them, then their neighbors are not going to get a clear picture of who, God's is, who God is they're going to profane his name and cheapen it, make it less valuable than it is. Right? And so we can rephrase this positively. Right? Each commandment tells us what we should do, not just what we should not do. It's love the Lord your God in such a way that you want to honor his name. Um, and do so willingly, joyfully. Right? What, it's the idea that whatever you say or do, you do so with God's name on you. Therefore, may your faith, may your thoughts, your words, your actions follow accordingly. <laughs> right? So we, we have a human illustration that, that kind, of, kind of works, right? Think about our children. They, they bear our name. Right, my kids are Thompsons, and ideally, their last name White tells them two things: one, they're loved; two, who they belong to. And because they have those privileges, uh, it comes with a responsibility to bear that name according to our commandments. <laughs> right, and so God's people, Israel, the church, right? We carry the name of the Lord. We are loved. 
right? It's telling us who we belong to, of the Lord. You now have a responsibility to live according to your Father's commandments. So, how does that work? Well, there's several implications. I'll run through a bunch. Um, one, one is worship, right? One of, the, one of the famous examples in Scripture of taking the Lord's name in vain comes from Job's wife. You remember Job, the, the, the innocent or the righteous sufferer? Job and his wife lost all of their wealth, their livestock, their children to, to sudden tragedy. And Job himself, well, he arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an astounding thing to say. When it feels like God does not have his back, he refuses to blast, diminish, uh, profane the name of the God he loves. But afterwards, Job then is struck with, with boils, with these painful sores on his, on his, all over his body, and all he can do is scratch them in misery. That's when his wife comes along and says, just curse God and die. Right. Taking the Lord's name in vain. There's all kinds of ways we do this, like Job's wife. It's something terrible happens, and you can accept God's sovereign plan in your life, worship through the good and the bad, or you can let self-pity take over and blast God's goodness. Right? I mean, how we suffer reveals what we think of God's name. You could add to the way we talk, thinking about worship, like that's one ordinary example. Just add the way we treat what we do every Sunday, right? Do we treat the Lord as he is real? Do you believe he exists? Do you trust his promises that when, you, when we pray, he is listening and his eyes are on us? How do you hear his commandments? Do you, are there some that you try and ignore or squirm out of? Do you expect God to meet with us here in Christ through the Spirit every Sunday morning? All of these things are, are saying, do you take the name of the Lord seriously? Is he real? Right. This commandment affects our language. Um, some of it's really obvious, right? If you crush your thumb with a hammer and out comes God's name in anger, right? some of that could be a lament. <laughs> some of that could be sin, exploding in frustration at God for allowing this injustice to happen. Right? Um, I remember a now disgraced comedian who had a whole routine um, where he and his brother had blasphemous names because Every time they got in trouble, his father would yell, Jesus Christ, come here, right? So he was, it just illustrates that idea that we shouldn't curse things or people in God's name, that we should use Jesus' name as he is, as he's revealed to us, right? Our language in particular should 
should reflect that we know the Lord. Uh, and so that's, this is a higher calling than just don't swear, right? Because it includes the tone in which and the attitude in which these words come out. Because all the words we use happen while I carry God's name, while I'm representing him. Right? Paul Tripp makes this point really well, that, that the Bible doesn't give you a specific vocabulary list of what you should and shouldn't say. Right? That's what parents and grandparents do. And they enforce it with soap. <laughs> right? No, and God says our words are evaluated by our intention. And because of the gospel, we should use our words to build others up, to give them grace. That's Ephesians. Use words that build others up because of whom you represent. Right? You are representing the Lord with your words. Right? And so you can picture how this looks, right? You're, there's a road rage incident on, on the north way, and you can see one car cursing out another car, and the cursing car has a Jesus fish bumper sticker. Right? It's a really easy example to pick on. Because it, what's, what's, what are they doing there in that moment? Right? Yeah, they're, they're insulting the image of God, and that is, that is a big deal. But what they're doing is they bear, they're bearing the Lord's name as if he doesn't exist, as if he wasn't slow to anger, as if he wasn't gracious and compassionate, as if he wasn't watching that moment. Right? Therefore, the commandment affects the words in which we use. Uh, the third commandment affects the way we tell the truth. Right? It was a common practice in the Old Testament and the New to talk about taking oaths or vows. To, the way we work this out in our culture, right? To, to swear the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? So Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do all that proceeds out of his mouth because you're swearing by the Lord. Right? And Jesus takes that idea and says, um, let's amp up the difficulty. What is the commandment really after? Jesus would say in Matthew 5.33, you've heard what it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all by heaven, or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. See, they had a system in place based on what you swore by, kind of maybe gave you some wiggle room to get out if you made a foolish vow. Right? And Jesus says, don't do, do all of that craziness. He says, let you, what you say simply be yes or no. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. See, here's what Jesus is saying. The, 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 the third commandment is saying just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't break your promises. And don't need to swear it's instead be a trustworthy person because of whom you represent. Right? If you can do that, 
you're not going to take the Lord's name in vain through broken promises, through slander, through deception, right? We're called to speak the truth in love, not talk out the side of our mouth like politicians looking for a way to get out of that word or out of that promise, right? So the, the third commandment says, tell the truth. Uh, it covers our moral failures. Right? That's what we read this morning in the bulletin. Let your conduct be according to your beliefs. Uh, that, that this treatment of God's name will be reflected in our holy affirmations of our faith. What we, what we say is true in the Bible. But it's also going to affect the conduct that matches our affirmations. Right? And so this is, this is what the world outside of the church constantly harps on the church for. And so you guys are hypocrites. Right? And so you can see why this commandment matters. I mean, one of the, the more famous high-profile moral failures in the last couple of years was uh, Ravi Zacharias. It's absolutely heartbreaking and sickening. Right? Someone who could beautifully articulate his faith and defend it uh, winsomely and persuasively. And it turned out his affirmations did not match his conduct because he was a serial womanizer. Even at times in the ugliest parts of the reports, using God's name to manipulate to, to get what he wanted. Right? And so the third commandment turns out to be about integrity. That God is putting us back together by the power of his name. He's forming us into a people who are not allowed to separate our beliefs from our conducts, from our actions. We can't separate I know God from his moral demands. Those two things go together. And so you add all this up, right? All of this is saying, do you take God's name seriously? Do you live as if he is real? We fall short. And in case you feel left out, the commandment also forbids pointless arguing. I'm pulling from the, the catechism, right? It would include people who use religion for selfish purposes. So that there goes the, t- the televangelists, people who use God name, God's name to get a private jet. It would include being ashamed of God's name, right? If somebody comes up and, and there's a, an opportunity that to, to just say, yeah, I'm with Jesus, whatever that looks like. Right? Don't be ashamed of the responsibility to carry Jesus' name. Right? The, the culmination for Israel and their inability to bear God's name with integrity and faith, it comes in the prophets. Right? We talked about this last year in Ezekiel. The repeated accusation against Israel in light of this commandment was, you have sullied my name or profaned my name among the nations. You've treated my name like dirt so the nations don't know me. And so, so much of Ezekiel is saying, judgment is coming for you because I, I do not hold guiltless those who take my name in vain. But there's also future grace coming. Why? God says, you haven't defended my name, so I'm going to have to do it myself. I will glorify my name myself, right? God swears he's going to fix 
repair, honor his name in public in a way that gets the, t- the attention of the nations. Malachi says the same thing. Malachi chapter 1, God has a whole conversation with the priests who is their job description to honor God's name. And God says, as a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If I, God, am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? This is what Yahweh says to you, to the priests who despise my name. They despise his name because when they go to worship, they don't act as if God is real. They were bringing lame sheep for the sacrifice instead of the blameless ones. They They were taking the cheap way out because it was less costly. And so in in the presence of their disobedience, Malachi grabs the hope found in this commandment. It says in Malachi 1.11, this is a great verse to memorize. It says, For from the rising of the sun to to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. What an amazing statement, right? Here are these people. They've given this holy privilege to know God's name, and they've blown it. They've run God's name through the mud, and God says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not settled with, satisfied with that. The day is coming when not only will my name be great among the nations, but my name will be taken seriously even by the nations, right? That's what it's talking about with incense. It's talking about prayer worship, a pure offering, right? They're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're, there are future non-Israelites who will keep these commandments. Right? How? Right? How is that possible that God's name would be treated as real by sinners, by people like us, if by nature we are divided, inconsistent, and lack integrity? See, the hope of the Old Testament is God himself has determined to lift up his name without our help. And he does that through Jesus. Right? So we can start and see how Jesus transforms this commandment. What is Jesus' name in Hebrew? Right? Matthew chapter 1 tells you his name. It shall be Jesus, for he shall save uh, his, God's people from their sins. Right? In Hebrew, Jesus, Yeshua, it's just a compound word, word meaning Yahweh and salvation put together. So Jesus' literal name is God saves. Right? Just switched over to English for us. Right? And so, so much so that whoever calls on the name of Jesus, it can be equated with calling on the name of the Lord the Lord of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is taking on God's name himself, right? And you go even further because Jesus, as the Lord, uh, shows how God's names and all the promises found in God's names in the Old Testament are fulfilled in him. Right? I mean, Jehovah Jireh, for example, right? Yahweh Jireh, the, the, the Lord who provides, Right? And that's in the context of Abraham giving Isaac 
the Lord who provided the lamb for the sacrifice. Jesus fulfills that in in an incredible way. He is the one who provides the lamb by being the lamb. You can see God being El Roy, the God who sees suffering, the story of Hagar, who intervenes, and now he intervenes personally in suffering. Right? He's the God who sees, who has compassion. He's the, the Lord of Bethel in the Old Testament, the God who makes his house on earth. Right? Jesus became human and came down to, down to earth. He is Yahweh Roph, the Lord who heals. I mean, that's all the way through the Gospels, the way Jesus looked at the sick and healed them. He's the good shepherd, right? Literally, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> I am the Lord, the shepherd who came to seek the lost. He is, he is the Yahweh Tzidkenu. He is the, the Lord of righteousness. He is the God who not only promises to defend his people with his righteousness, but also to make us righteous. Right. So you're starting to see Jesus transforms the way we see God's name. Right. And, but then he also takes on our obligation to keep the third commandment at his baptism. Right. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down. He is now baptized into the name of the Father, so to speak, through the Spirit as the Son. He is the beloved Son. And as you watch his life, He loves his Father. He prays to his Father in heaven. He knows the Father. He he articulates everything he does as being sent by the Father. He only speaks what the words his Father gives him, and he only does what he sees his Father doing. And he's so united with God's name that he can say, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him to. No one could accuse Jesus of not taking God the Father seriously or living as if he's not real. And so when you come to the cross, when you come to see Jesus, who is simultaneously is the Lord, bearing God's name and fulfilling all of God's promises, and, and at the same time, he's not bearing God's name in vain, right? You're seeing him make known God. He really is a God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he really is a God who will not let the guilty go free, so much so that justice and mercy meet in him. He becomes the just and justifier, And he does so as our high priest, carrying our names. This is the gospel, right? If we are called to bear God's name as if he is real, we cannot accuse God of not treating our names as if we are not real, right? The the, the cross, the gospel is saying, look, Jesus died for you as his sheep, right? He had you in mind, right? Peter Kreeft would say that that the cross has our names on it, not the generic name humanity. So when Jesus called himself the good shepherd, he says he calls his own sheep by name. And so the gospel comes to you not in a newspaper 
with a Xerox label, Dear Occupant. It comes with a handwritten envelope personally addressed to you as a love letter from God to you alone in Christ. So why would Jesus do that? Why would he go through the hell of the cross of being treated right, as less, of being abandoned, of, of taking our punishment for us? Why would he do that? So that you and I could have his name. Right? Because whoever picks up their cross and chooses to follow Jesus, you're told to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, so that you too can be God's beloved son, beloved child in whom he's well pleased. Doesn't that change the way you hear the commandment now to represent God and his name? Right? See, when you see how real he is, how seriously he treats your name by going to you, going to the cross, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven as our forever high priest according to the, after the order of Melchizedek, right? He is always there representing you by name. And now he says to us, Christian, you bear my name in the world. How then will you live? Live as if you belong to me. And that's that's the, the logic of the New Testament. Go live worthy of the name by which you've been called. All right, as we're, we're coming to the table, we're seeing how God remembered us first, and that's the fuel for the Christian life. But part of the way the, the gospel reframes the third commandment is, is it says, may you live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or may God give you a life that is worthy of the gospel. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, right? I mean, you can, I'll, I'll reread that. In light of everything we've said, this is, this is amazing. Right? It says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So there's something where you say, now I care about the name of Jesus in the world. Now I care. I want others to know the name of the one who loved me like this. And, and I want them to know what it's like to be glorified in Jesus. Right? What does Paul mean by that? Right? We may be glorif- Jesus may be glorified in us. We get that responsibility, carry his name, but also that right, you in him, that we might understand how much we're loved, delighted in, glorified. Right? So, turns out the third commandment, sure, it includes profanity. Right? But it's about much more. It's about receiving the gift of Jesus' name, seeing all the benefits that come with knowing him, and living as if he is real, as if the tomb is empty, as if he is sitting on the throne at the right hand of God and will come back to judge the living and the dead and come back for you by name to give you the gift of the new heavens and new earth, to wipe away every tear, as we just sang this morning, that we'll be saved to sin no more. 
when that sinks in, we'll be less worried about the specific words we use and more worried about how Jesus is seen, heard, and understood through our words. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this gift of grace and the great privilege that comes with bearing Jesus' name. And so I pray for us, Lord, we need your spirit to believe the gospel, uh, that all those who trust in the, the, the name of Jesus shall not be put to shame. And so we can stand in the gospel. And I pray now as we taste your grace that uh, you would equip us for these good works, that you would motivate us to want to carry Jesus' name uh, in a worthy manner, uh, that people would see Jesus in us. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.